everybody. This is So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Welcome to the show. You got all four of us this time. I know over the past month or so, it's been kind of wild. Sometimes you get three, sometimes you get two. No matter what, it is a party. Mm-hmm. We are it's still- a juggling act over oh, here. Oh, is that what you were doing? It was juggling. Juggling. Superimpose some, some, I don't know, chainsaws or something. Make it interesting. Okay. Chainsaws, yeah. What about shaken martinis because of James Bond? That's good. Uh, We're still digging through Daniel Craig's James Bond movies in the run up to No Time to Die, his final entry in the franchise. And this week we're on Skyfall. Um, Skyfall Mm -hmm. came out in 2012, directed by Sam Mendes, who would go on to direct 1917, another great movie. Um, I think mm-hmm. Sam Mendes is pretty pretty solid director. Yeah. Road to Perdition and all that, yeah. Right, right. That was before this. Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this time in the life of James Bond, um, he has been involved in a mission gone wrong. Um, MI6 is attacked. And basically, M and James Bond are on their own to figure out um, who's behind it and how to stop them. Let's start with first thoughts from Andrew because he's been uh, quiet for so many weeks now. Yes, welcome back, Andrew. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, it's good to see everybody. Indeed. Wish we could say uh, the same. Well, see us all the time. Yeah. No, the, the thing is, is that I absolutely love this James Bond film. I think Skyfall was like a definite shot in the arm that James Bond so, de- so, so definitely needed. Um, and Skyfall, what it does is, is that for me anyway, it just, it, it's everything that I love about, it's everything, it's one of the very few things that I love about James Bond is that like, now you have pathos with him. And then you have all of this, you have all this culmination of just everything that you want out of James Bond in a two and a half hour film. I am so happy with this. This movie was so cool. Some movie was so good. It was action packed. It was exciting. There's virtually nothing bad that I can say about it. Wow. Ringing endorsement. High praise. From Andrew. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> Let's move on to David's thoughts then. You know, we talked about it last week, Andrew. You uh, probably did not watch or listen to our discussions of Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. But I did not care for Quantum of Solace that much. I thought it was seemingly fairly fine. But I, I was, I, I, oh, good. Because, because, uh, and I said last week, what would I need? What would have to change? Right. I remember Garrett, I said, what would need to change for us to, to, to be like, yeah, okay, we're down for this. And I said it would need a lot more character moments, and that's what we got here. Skyfall, I feel like, is a vast improvement over Quantum of Solace. And kind of, I know that from a story perspective, Quantum of Solace carries the story forward from Casino Royale, but in terms of a uh, stepping everything up, I feel like this is the the better sequel to Casino Royale because you see this Bond uh, be charming. You see him be vulnerable. You see him... Uh, we get to learn more about his past, more about his actual 
wants and opinions and stuff like that. It, it, and, and you get a little bit more of his personal relationships with these with, with M and uh, Eve and Q and all that stuff. I, I really thought those were uh, really well done. The action is great. The pacing is really good. It, there's not the, I didn't feel like it was as exhausting as the other two films with the constant chases and fights and aggression. I understood what was going on. That was a big one. It's like, they were very clear what was the goal? What was the, what, what, who, why are we chasing this person? What does this person have uh, that we need to get? Right. And it was much more personal of a story um, for me. This is kind of what I envisioned James Bond to be, you know, is this kind of like top levels espionage spy thing. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was great. I have one quibble, but it's not really a quibble with this movie specifically. It's a quibble with uh, it's a Hollywood trope that I'm just kind of over. And this movie really typified how over it I am. But uh, uh, we'll get, we can get into that a little bit later. But I thought this was a big step up. I can see why people love this one. Yeah, I think David and I are on the same page. We were both kind of like, we weren't feeling it um, after the, the first two. We were kind of, we wanted to, we just weren't there. And I think that we both, based on your takeaway in mind, uh, are at that same level where this is more of the James Bond that I was expecting to. Um, you you add more of the characters that I'm familiar with. You know, you had Q and his introduction and his first time showing up in these. Um, for me, you had a lot of the cool gadgets and the fun, inventive ways that they shoot and kill. I mean, with the car with the the machine gun headlights, you know, things like that that you didn't get or at least wasn't presented and again, with my only experience being pop culture knowledge, or those are things that were missing in those first two movies. Um, I also mentioned that I struggled to connect with James as a character. And Josh, you said that he's not meant to be. And I think that from that perspective and looking at this movie and looking at the other two movies where it, you, David, you said this is a more personal story, but I think for me, they tried to get really personal um, with James Bond and it didn't work in the first two movies. Like he fell in love with Vesper. Right. And then like that changes everything. Um, he wanted vengeance for Vesper, but I also never cared about Vesper and I wasn't invested in that relationship. And it seemed like that is what those focus of those movies were for me. And it just didn't land. Um, this one there is not that deeper emotional connection. It is a more personal kind of a thing based on the attack and trying to solve the mission. And it didn't seem like it was connected to the other two, which I appreciated. And I'm interested to see where it falls in the storytelling as I feel like they are connected in, in this upcoming one. Uh, but this one didn't feel like it was connected to the first two. And I didn't have that I guess, emotional love story that I felt like they were presenting and didn't care about. And so that really helped with this as well. And so really good movie. I very much enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed it. I felt like we got some really good, uh, like hand-to-hand -hand combat that we hadn't gotten. Um, that, I think it was the opening scene where they were just like fighting, choreographed type fighting was really impressive. And so I really liked that too. And that shot with the backdrop with the, uh, with the jellyfish. Mm -hmm. They were fighting like it was like in silhouette. That was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you, Josh? I, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I have 
um, since I first saw it. It is the strongest entry in the series for me, especially at this point. Um, the stakes are different, and I appreciate that. Um, we're seeing in my six, it's self-attacked, and so M and James have their own now personal interest in stopping um, whoever's behind it. Uh, you know, Javier Bardem's character. Um, which to go into that, this has a much stronger villain mm. than we saw in the first two movies, where um, you know. There wasn't a lot of like, I don't know, that creepy villainy you kind of get from your typical spy movie. But um, Javier Bardem, on the other hand, is a uh, very, very creepy man. <laughs> yeah. You know, not to not to offend him, but, you know, I think he's really well known for uh, No Country for Old Men. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I look straight because uh, he would know because he is deeply creepy in that movie. And now in this one, he's also like, I likened him a little bit to uh, the Dark Knight's Joker in his kind of chaotic glee he sometimes has. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that a lot. He actually feels like a good foil for for James Bond. Um, I like that the story moves like the final battle all the way to James Bond's childhood home uh, right there at the grave of his father. That's, that's uh, much different than what we've gotten before. Mm. So overall, it's just, it does things very differently than what we've seen. Um, but it, I think it paid off in pretty much every way where it's just a lot more fun to watch and it's a lot more, the story's a lot more engaging. Going into the, the villain thing is a really good standout because I, I agree while I get again, I came around to Casino Royale. I don't and, and Mads Mikkelsen was always fantastic, but he wasn't he was basically the middleman. If he you think about it out a lot, he did. Well, and he was the middleman. He was never he was the guy that you give the money to to for the bad person to do the bad thing without it being traced to them. So like I, he wasn't menacing. Uh, I didn't find him to be. Um, and then. In Quantum of Solace, I just don't think that they were structured well enough to care. Um, and so this is really, I do feel like the first villain that stands out, which immediately increases the stakes. Um, you have a believable villain and a mission that you understand and know and, and like can see it, it ties things together. And again, those are two things that I didn't necessarily connect with. Even in Casino Royale, I feel like there was just so much going on in Casino Royale. Um, even with it coming into better picture for me, I think that this one was just all structured a lot better. Yeah, I think that there's a real opportunity that uh, the uh, Eon, right, is yeah. mostly who produces these uh, and Sony Pictures. There's an opportunity with the Bond villain to kind of provide something that we we kind of have a little bit with like Marvel movies and, and DC movies, but I think in a different way, you have an opportunity with each Bond movie to pluck an incredible actor and put them in a super iconic villainous role and just let them go for it. And I know that like we've got Christoph Waltz coming up and we've got some other bad guys. And, and the first movie, Mad Mickelson is a great example. Um, like the Bond villain should, should be one of those, one of those roles that's like really highly sought after. I, I feel like um, because it's a chance to really to be an iconic character and so many of the characters are more are, are, are iconic so this day some of the some of the names you know like 
your your Dr. No and uh, Jaws. <laughs> Odd job. I'm just thinking of characters from the GoldenEye game. Uh, you know, and uh, and even I remember, I don't remember the ca- the actor who played him, but I remember that in uh, Die Another Day, there was a guy with diamonds in his face. I don't know what he was called, but he got diamonds shot in his face and he couldn't no. get him out. He couldn't get him out. So, you know, uh, I think bringing in Javier Bardem is great. Uh, I loved when he uh, he pulls his, his teeth out. Uh, oh, yeah. Part of his, that was part of his creepy. Part of his cheek collapses. And yeah. I thought he was really intimidating. He was very good, you yeah. know. Uh, uh, he really seemed like, yeah, he was a, a perfect anti to James Bond's character. Perfect, like, you know, two sides colliding. Uh, and man, what a great way to introduce him with this like slow one take shot where he just recites. He's he's at the end of the hallway and as he slowly walks up, just recites this little like story and he gets closer and closer to the screen. And by the time he gets to the end of it, he's we're face to face with him. It's it's a it's an interesting way to to, to do it. And um, yeah, so really dug it. Well, Andrew, do you like Javier here? Oh, yeah. Um, the one thing that I the one thing that I don't. If there's anything I don't like about the James Bond movies, period, is that all the characters are very one-dimensional. You know, yeah. Maybe, James yeah, Bond yeah. is James Bond is not is is meant to be fun. It is just you know, good time at the movies. You know, good versus evil, bad guy versus good guy versus bad versus good guy versus bad guy, whatever. And James Bond, especially this one, kind of embodies. It kind of embodies that, but brings it to a different light. There's way more character development. And Javier Bardem, I would say, is the greatest Bond villain that has ever that has ever been around. And I say that, I said what I said, because like, because the uh, Bond villains, like I said just a second ago, are very one dimensional. They're evil. They want to, you know, take over the world, but they never, they never really give any type of reason. The only person that I would think, of, the only thing I would think of that would have any reason or is close to it is uh, Alec from GoldenEye. Okay. So that's a different thing. But this right here, Javier Bardem takes that same reason. Because he used to be an ex-agent. He used to be an agent. You know, he served under M. He felt betrayed by M. He wants to get back at M. And you know his story. Do you sympathize with him? Not really. But, you know, there's a sense of like, there's a sense of pathos there. There's a sense of like, well, you know, maybe, you know, he has reason to be upset. He has reason to be mad. Is that good enough reason to just kill everybody he sees? No, but like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but like here, you know, he he's he's an absolute menace of a person, yeah. and that's what makes a great villain. That's what made that's what made uh, Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood great. That's what made uh, Heath Ledger from The Dark Knight great. That's what made. Um, that's what made even Joaquin Phoenix from Joker great. Okay. Why? No. Why? No. Bring that up. I know. Why would you I say know. two Jokers? You could have said Darth Vader or something. I don't know. And I, even I, Darth Vader. I was like thinking. I was like thinking of other characters. I was like thinking. I was like thinking. 
Yeah. I'm going to uh, pivot and jump in. Uh, what, so you guys know more about the Bond villains than David or I, um, out, again, outside of pop culture. So I do, I do find it interesting because of the villains that I have seen, I agree that RV Urbadim has been the best, but like, I don't know his name. So my question, I guess, is has this Bond franchise done anything to add to the legacy or of new characters or new villains that people should care about outside of James Bond himself so far? Like, I would say that the only Bond villain that I remember the name of right now is Deschifre. Uh, I think that they did a good job of driving his name home and creating him and, and being a very name like Dr. Noah Goldeneye. I'm not saying he's on that level, but I'm, like from memorability standpoint, I don't know if they've done anything. And I, and this is not necessarily just Bond. I mean, recently, then do any of modern villains would, outside of them stand out in, in like those name I would, recognitions? I would say here's the one that I know, and it's only because of a certain other franchise, and that is Blofeld. Andrew Blofeld, right? This is basically the inspiration for Dr. Evil. Uh, he was, uh, oh, you know, yeah, it's from got the cat, the scar, the bald head, the whole thing. Basically, Dr. Evil is just a ripoff or just a parody of Blofeld. Yeah. Okay, who, who I think, I don't know, I honestly don't know, but I think we're going to get potentially see them in the future of this franchise. I don't know. He, he was in Diamonds, of, Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Forever. I'm reading here, he was in Thunderball. Uh, so he's a reg- he's a he's a con- he's a he's a recurring bad guy. Yeah, he's been at least he's been in more than one. He has he has a bald head with that little scar right here, and he's and he's always petting a cat. So, but I, I'm asking, do these current villains, I guess, stand up and in to the ones that people know, right? Uh, like uh, in, in in terms of pop culture, however you want to look at it, do these villains? measure up to the pop culture standards, I guess, that has been created with the ones that do stand out. These movies are generally considered the best of the James Bond because they're very realistic. They're very gritty. They're not as overly the top campy, but does anything outside of Daniel Craig's stand out? There's only one person I think that stands out. And that is that is from license to kill to me anyway. Hmm. And, and the reason why the reason why I say that is because License to Kill was the revenge flick, mm-hmm. and also I, and also I will say Goldfinger. Well, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't know. I, I don't think the Bond villains necessarily stand out in the way in the context of the conversation we're having. They may not, and I'm just genuinely because I, I don't know. I would say based on what I've not read, based on what I've read, in terms of reinventing the characters. Like this, this version of James, this Daniel Craig's James Bond kind of reinvented the character and made him more interesting. Mm-hmm. I think what if that's what you're asking, Garrett. I think the other character that stands out is the character who has a lot of time in this movie and in the other two movies, and that's M, played by Judy Dench. She really gets a lot more weight. They really, I think, I, I Andrew, Josh, you've, maybe you guys have seen more Bond movies than me. M is kind of just a, a character in the other movies that just sort of gives exposition and then and then off off james bond goes right whereas in these last three movies they've been m has been an integral in, integral character into the, each of the stories i agree with that yeah she's more or less the boss typically and i mean the thing with with uh the villains is that they just 
they don't really repeat like they're, they're pretty much a new villain every single movie going back for almost all of them. So they don't have those kind of repeat appearances that make them like arch nemeses that are memorable. Like, like, yeah, uh, Andrew, you brought it up. You mentioned Goldfinger. I think he's memorable because his name's weird. And he has that classic, um, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die line. But like, that's the one and only time you ever see him in 50 years of James Bond. So mm. they don't like exist in that capacity. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think the early films, there's a repeat villain, but they kind of steer away from that. Yeah, I mean, the other, the only other person I can think of that's been comically played is Jaws, you know, like, you know, Jaws, you know, Jaws is that, and there's Jaws is just like, he's a recurring villain. He's been in more than one Bond movie and, and he's, I don't know. He, he's, he, he's kind of, he's, he's almost a part of the, he's almost a part of the genre just as much as Q or M, you know? So when you think Jaws, I, when, when I hear the word Jaws, I think of him. No, you don't. You think of the movie. Shut up. You think of that. You, know. you immediately think of the movie as soon as you hear the word Jaws. Yeah, I certainly don't think of James Bond when I hear. I'll tell James you what, Bond. though. Every time we every time we say Q, I think of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I will uh, say that. Like, to go, uh, I would go back to him just to just to reconnect. Andrew's Andrew's very out of practice. Give him give him grace. <laughs> um, yeah, she is more. Um, she has more depth in this one because she plays a different role of being the, you know, she's the target more or less of Stella, and also now someone that Bond has to protect, which he hasn't had to do before. So she's got a little more. Uh, she's got more to do in this film than she really ever has in the past. Yeah. And then uh, I don't know when that was sort of infamously or not infamously, I guess that's the wrong word. Famously, you know, Judy Dench is, I believe, the first woman to play him. Am I, am I right? Normally, M is a, a, a male character. Right, 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 right. So and then, you so know, it's a big reinvention of that character. And I think it I think it was successful. Yeah. And then, I mean, we're about half an hour into this po- into this podcast. Spoiler alert. Then they kill her. Uh-huh. <laughs> then yep. she, yeah. she dies. So, yeah, she uh, has her. She, she and, has and, her we, and we set up a new a new M in uh, Ray Fiennes. Mm-hmm. Which you know, good good follow up. I think. Sure, he's a great uh, actor. In terms of acting <laughs> dynamics, and uh, yeah, I think I think it's a I think if you look at this story, these three stories we've seen as a as an arc for the relationship between Bond and who, let's face it, at this point, it's his surrogate mother, M. Right. Their their arc. I think it makes for a pretty good trilogy to this mm-hmm. point. Um, not that, you know, in quantum of solace being kind of a low part, I feel like I've heard bad. I've not heard great reviews for specters. So it's very possible that this is the peak of Daniel Craig's bond. A lot of people say and, uh, that they wish they had just ended James Bond with Skyfall because it is so good. Yeah. 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 And we'll see uh-huh. if maybe no time to die gives us a little bit of like a nice swan song with him. I mean, it's kind and of I'm like sure it will because your gap between the two. We, we, they've gone into this film knowing it was Craig's last. So I'm sure it will be um, at, at minimum a fitting goodbye to his, um, you know, boundary. 
boundary. <laughs> it's like saying goodbye to another doctor. So, I mean, we could, we don't have to talk about this one right now. We can talk about it later in the next one. Um, but how do they normally handle like the trade-off from bonds? Because they're, they're not normally connected. Right. So like normally bond just goes away and they come back with a new person. Imagine yeah. you like Batman. It's is no, this a, no, it's just different. Yeah. It's because like, I feel like, like they uh, have been, again, uh, my structures, I have no idea. So tell me if I'm wrong, but like they're building this to possibly be handed off to someone. Right. You really need to picture these like Batman movies. Like I think Batman that's the best, Spider-Man like, that you should expect or... no real solid connection between um, George Clooney and Christian Bale. They're just, sure. this is well, new now. Sure, Bravo I'm just saying fast. they've built towards a handoff of somebody. Do you think they're actually going to hand it off to somebody or have they announced who the next person is in Bond? I don't remember. They, they have yet. not announced any future okay. plans for Bond and they will not hand it off because okay. 007 is only James Bond. Yeah, yeah, okay. the movies are really just mission to mission, and but these uh, haven't been. These haven't been is what I'm gathering. Right. Well, until Skyfall, Skyfall is unrelated to the previous two. True. So, like, my thing is, is that like what happens is, is that there's like a full, like maybe a three or four year hiatus because they have to, sh- they have to like find that one bond. So how bonds are traded off, how bonds are traded off, there's usually like, there's usually that amount of time in between each bond movie before they finally years. Yeah. Because like when they did license to kill between license to kill and, uh, uh, between license to kill and Goldeneye, there was a period of about actually about six, uh, almost six years. Yeah. So it's really like he's a superhero where sometimes they just switch actors and it really won't be acknowledged. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and there's there are some. There, there have been some. There have been some M's, some money pennies, some Q's that have tra- that have transcended multiple actors as James Bond, and then sometimes they just recast everybody. It's really kind of at the whims of the studios. Yeah, pretty much. But we do uh, need to move on now. We do um, into our box office segment. Um, my my. The, <laughs> as we. As we what? Sorry, sorry. I was gonna say as I do this, I'm going to I'm gonna oh. sneak in my nitpick. Oh, so, sneak it in, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna sneak this in as I as I as I pull up my research. So here we go. We're going into Skyfall, uh, which uh, had features uh, a villain who planned this all along. I always hate that. I, I, I'm just I'm over it. I hate he wanted to get caught. That was his plan all along was to get caught and be here. And now we're trapped. He's hacked us. Oh no. We played right into his hand. I'm like, I'm just so sick of it. Just give me a bad guy who doesn't want to get caught. Who that's like a big f up for him. He's like, dang, me to get caught in the middle act. Ah, oh, crud. All right. Well, I know. feel that. I get it. I get like, that. I, I'm just so I'm I'm, I'm kind of over the villain who's so much smarter sure. than everybody. Uh, you know, uh, at least for a while. Give me a break. All right. Um. So Skyfall <laughs> opened November for or November 9th, Excuse me, of 2012. Big year. Big year for Hollywood. The 2012. And uh, Skyfall would be uh, number one. Open with 88.3 million dollars, which is great. That's a great open in the U.S. Number two that weekend was Wreck-It Ralph. Number three, Flight with Denzel Washington. Number four, I believe this was a uh, best director of that year, right? This is Argo. And no, then, no, that was best it was notoriously not best director. Oh, yeah. was it? Was Any it believe it should have been? Was it best yes. picture? It was best picture, but not best, best, best picture. But Ben Affleck snubbed. I knew that it was one of the two. And then, yeah, number five in its sixth weekend, Taken Two, which for my for my money was taken too long to get to the point. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
Skyfall would go on to make $304 million domestically in the United States, which would uh, help it to finish at the number four spot for the year. Uh, well, wait, hang on. Let me adjust these real quick to your releases. Yes, number four, 304 million. Just behind at number three, The Hunger Games. At number two, The Dark Knight Rises. And at number one, Avengers, which brought in $623 million. Uh, number five spot, Hobbit, The Unexpected Journey. As I said, big year. You had um, one, two, three, four, five movies make more than $300 million that year, um, which is very big. You had uh, 11 movies make more than $200 million. Uh, rounding out the top 10 was Twilight, Breaking Dawn Part 2, The Amazing Spider-Man, Brave by Pixar, Ted, and Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. That was the one with the Afro Circus, if I believe. I believe. Um, going to its worldwide stats, you know, uh, Skyfall would also make $804 million internationally, which is just gigantic, uh, to finish number two at the worldwide box office with $1.1 million. Um, the only movie better than that would be The Avengers again, which brought in $1.5 billion. Sorry, I should have said, this is the first uh, and to this point only Bond movie to make over a billion dollars. Highest grossing Bond movie by far. Um, Skyfall broke uh, several several records, uh, including it is the uh, you know it's kind of funny it did not break the opening weekend record in the UK uh, that at that point was being held by Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. You'll remember when we talked about Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace beat Harry Potter for our best opening weekend. Harry Potter took it right back. Uh, unfortunately, Bond was not able to beat was not able to beat Harry Potter in three day, but it did beat it for the highest opening week total so seven days and uh it's the at this point the highest grossing movie in uk history um so there the, that's pretty much it for skyfall's box office run uh, a lot of money billion dollar friend or you know it, that made over a billion dollars uh won some academy awards as well so i mean you gotta you gotta think that in terms of every way you would consider a bond, in terms of every way you would consider success, uh, the Skyfall is a massive success. Amen to that. All right. Um, who's going to run our letterbox game? I think it's me, right, David? Yeah, I think, Gary, you won last Go week. Go for it, then. That's exciting. Yeah, Andrew, do you remember how to play this game? Basically, we use our letterbox community and you all guess what you think they think the movie is. Hey, and the closest wins. Yay! You don't win anything, but you win. Yeah, well, not yet. I don't know. David, do you have the rankings? Have we done rankings? You know, we we've just had wipe a bit them of clean a, and start over. We've had a bit of a pause. Oh, you'd love that. I would. Uh, as of right now, uh, I haven't put on uh, Garrett one Quantum of Solace, so i got to add to Garrett's number. Right now, it's me with seven, Garrett with seven, Josh with six, and Andrew with four. Wow. Wow. Wow, indeed. Andrew needs one. Yeah, Andrew needs, Andrew, a, win. Andrew Andrew needs a win right I, here. I, I'm going to guess that it's a 3.9. Okay. 3.9 for David. You went high. What is the max you can rent that you can go? Five. Five? Five? Okay. Yeah, it only goes up to five. 
It has been a while since we've You've played this game. Don't give me that look. You've <laughs> played this game for years. For years you've played this game. It's not like not like you did it once. You were a featured member on this podcast. I'm gonna guess four point zero. Four point zero. He one dollared in. Andrew? One dollared. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do three point seven. Three point seven. Oh man! Okay. I gotta. Wow, y'all are bunched up. How exciting is this? Okay, I gotta hit this on it. So yeah, somebody's gonna win, and uh, the downside is nobody does. Oh. It is a three point eight. Oh, so we yeah. have a tie. So. I don't remember what we do for tiebreakers. Let me see if I can come up with something. We do quick. something basically different. Oh, uh, how many people um, have this as like one of their top movies? What's the range? Is it between? Can you give us yeah. like a range between like uh, the bottom hundred and the top? Like, like is it like twelve hundred to thirteen hundred? What, what's well, the? Let me let me pull that up. Josh, you want to stall? I mean. I we could fast forward to our personal ratings. Yeah, well, go ahead and do that while I pull this up. Um, Andrew, what's your personal rating? Easily a five. Okay, uh, David. Uh, I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to. Really I'm going to go with Andrew and give it a five. Oh, perfect. Um, it's, I'm going to go low. I'm going to give it a four. Oh, there you go. Wow, that's high praise from Garrett. On Garrett's list, that's an okay. No, I've changed it. That is excellent. <laughs> I know. I know. I remember last week you changed two and a half. I okay. I did. Gives us a it's more accurate. You. All right. I don't know. I can't find it. Seriously low on time. Yeah. Now. Okay, um, so we're going to change it. I'm going to just ask. We're going to go back to the old ways and we're going to do Rotten Tomatoes. Perfect. Oh, okay. So, uh, John or uh, David and Andrew. Closest I'm- to the score. I'm going to say it's a uh, 88. 88 miles per hour. It's an 88 on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to say 86. It oh, it's going to be 87. Is a 92. Wow. That takes it on David. The rich get richer. Another tally to his list. Um, and that's it for us this week. You can find us online at so many sequels.com. A real nail-biter of a game there. Come back next week to find out who will win the Spectre game. Yes. Yay! (laughs) We'll see you next time.